podcast where we talk about TV pilots. I'm Kara. And I'm Adina. And today we're talking about Dickinson. Our show for today was actually chosen by our guest, Aiko Hilkinger. Woo! Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's Aiko. I'm a professional screenwriter and film and TV critic. I actually write over at ScreenSpec with Kara, and yeah. I've also written for publications like Remezcla and uh, Pop Sugar Latina. I love TV. Like I've always been a huge, huge like TV nerd. Not to like the extent of like, oh my god, it's crazy, but like to the extent where I like studied <laughs> specifically, like studied television writing in college. So I feel like I'm qualified to talk on this particular topic. <laughs> oh yeah, you are Hell definitely yeah. qualified. <laughs> One other thing we like to ask all of our guests when uh, they introduce themselves oh is, my god, um, the what's astrology your sign? Early. I'm turning you guys into like astrology hoes. Like that's just gonna be my entire personality. It's hilarious that we started this because like neither of us is that big into astrology. We just happened to like ask our first guest that, and now it's kind of a thing that we ask guests and we I'm don't know anything about it. it. So. Like I, it's not crazy where I'm like I know everything, but I'm really into it. Um, so I am a Taurus Sun, Gemini Moon, and Scorpio Rising. For those, I'm also Scorpio rising. Ooh, and I'm a Scorpio sun, so we've got this is like a, a great energy. Here. <laughs> okay, I'm not an astrology expert, but I feel like the show Dickinson exudes Scorpio energy. Is that a correct statement? A hundred percent. Do you want to know why? Because fucking Emily Dickinson is a Scorpio rising. Oh. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, Amazing. I was, to give kind of like a background on the show, I'm obsessed with the show. Like this show is literally like, if I could be a show, it would be this show. Like this is my entire personality. <laughs> and like it, it encapsulates like my vibe and my just general understanding and feelings towards like the world so beautifully that I was just like, there's gotta be something. Like Emily Dickinson has to be something that I am. Because if it's not, like, a thing, then I'm just, like, losing my mind. So she's, <laughs> I think she's a, she's a Sag son. So, like, she's very, like, boisterous and very, you know, attention-seeking and, like, warm and, and fiery. Um, she's a Libra moon, which I find which is really interesting. But apparently, like, Libra moons are really charismatic and, like, have that energy that everybody's attracted to. And the <laughs> kicker, which I was like, this is where it's at. She's a Scorpio rising, which is the whole like obsessive with death and like super into like the creepy, the macabre, like the weird, the obscure, you know, like she's got that connection to like the beyond, I guess you could say, which I found really interesting. Mm -hmm. And ironically enough, which I also am, she has her 10th house of career in Leo, which was like incredibly interesting because that whole wanting to be famous and like wanting to be heard and like wanting to be everywhere and like be known by everyone is something that like ironically enough we both share and i think that you know the show captures really beautifully because she is very like as much as she's like doubts herself so much she also really wants to be famous which i thought was very interesting like astrologically to kind of like connect it's so weird and cool that was amazing thank you for that analysis that breakdown and i feel like and again, maybe maybe this is incorrect for me to say this because basically everything I know about Emily Dickinson is from this show, so it's like <laughs> not necessarily historically accurate. But I was gonna say I feel like Emily Dickinson would be an astrology girly. She would be very into that. Did they not have like a seance episode where they were like there was a seance yeah, episode and then did, there was yeah. like a like a ritual like moon like full moon something i remember like two distinct episodes where it was very heavily like pronounced that she was super into 
the spirituality like weirdness that is like astrology and I think something something some other things but yeah no she would totally be into like tarot and <laughs> and witchy shit shit yeah. like I just I think it's amazing so just to back up a little bit and give a little overview for people that are less familiar with this show um uh Dickinson it's a show uh from Apple TV plus uh, it began uh, in 2019, and it actually was one of their original shows that launched with the service. Um, no, it was their first comedy, their first half-hour comedy that they had. And basically, the premise of the show is, you know, it's about Emily Dickinson, who was a, a real person. Um, she was a famous poet uh, from Amherst, Massachusetts. She is known for her poems are, they tend to be often like short and kind of fragment-like. Uh, she has very interesting use of punctuation, a lot of dashes, especially those are like the things you might have heard of, you know, in relation to Emily Dickinson. Uh, but this show is not super preoccupied with being historically accurate. The style of the show is it kind of, it's based off of, it is heavily inspired by Emily Dickinson's general situation of her life. Um, you know, she never married, um, you know, she lived at her home, she was very reclusive, but she also had a very notable relationship with her sister-in-law, uh, Sue Gilbert, who married her brother Austin. Uh, and they exchanged a lot of letters that have led most people to conclude that they had um, a romantic relationship. Obviously, I'm sure there's a lot of scholars out there that are like, no, that's just how women talked to each other back then. They were just friends. Gal but is not, that is not Gal how women talk to each other even now. <laughs> like, no, it's kidding? not. It is not. But the other kind of unique thing about the show is that it brings a very modern sensibility to it. Like it is, it's set in the 1800s um, and it is, it's historically accurate in the sense of like, they're living in the world of the 1800s basically as it was, they don't have any new technology or anything, but uh, it is infused with the modern perspective uh, in the dialogue of how the characters talk. It's kind of, actually the dialogue is a little bit of a blend of kind of historical sounding. I don't want to say historically accurate because I don't know if it is, but like historical sounding dialogue and then modern sounding dialogue. And um, the aesthetic, uh, the music choices, and um, just the way that the story is told and what it chooses to focus on, I feel like is very clearly from a 2020 perspective. It's also very much infused with the historical perspective of like, you know, we don't know all of the details of Emily Dickinson's life, but we have her poetry. And the other interesting thing is like, she didn't become famous and well-known as a poet until after she died. Most of her stuff was not published and not see the light of day until after she died. So that is also kind of a running theme and context in the show. There are moments in the show where it kind of does call forward and acknowledge the present and, you know, how Emily Dickinson is known in 2020 versus her existing as a young woman and being like, what? I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like it's like kind of it's like part period show, part like teen slash young adult romance show, part wacky surreal comedy. It's a really, really unique show and it's hard to even describe it because the vibe is so specific. And for me, I really enjoy the show because I love stuff that is just so specific to itself. And it's not quite like anything else, but it feels like the best version of what it is. Like this is Dickinson and it is the best Dickinson that it could be. <laughs> As a writer, I'm like, I want to be in, I would, I would have loved to be involved in the show in any way possible, but like my brain understands that I could have never written the way that this show was written. Like it's so specific and so like 
I'm not at the point in my career, at the point in like my journey where I'm like confident enough to be like, I could have totally written Dickinson. I could have totally done that. Hell no. I would have done something like very broody, very like what patty, very YA adjacent. Mm-hmm. And I think that this show is just so like, it's the perfect blend of both because it is mm-hmm. heavily like, it's very fucking gay. And it's very like romantically involved. And like the main thing that we follow is Emily's many loves, which is really interesting. And we can talk about that later because um, I have a whole section where I was just like, Emily's obsession with death. And like, I read an article and I know this thing and I know this thing. And it's, it's like, it's so interesting to kind of like watch the show that's primarily like romance forward whilst also being so much about the craft and the person and like, her relationships with like her family and her friends and like how she lived her life not realistically but how i believe and how i think she would have liked to live her life you know what i mean like i feel like emily dickinson would have fucking loved to live as Haley seinfeld's emily dickinson (laughs) i know yeah that's what i like about the show because again i'm not super well versed in like emily dickinson's actual history herself but to me Again, we won't know because Emily Dickinson's dead. We can't actually talk to her. But, like, to me, this show feels like it's true to the spirit of her work. And it also, it, it does have a very specific voice. So the show was created by Alina Smith, who is an author, a playwright, a screenwriter. She actually did not have a super long history of writing for the screen before this. She wrote on a couple TV shows, My America, The Newsroom, uh, but not a lot. There's not really a lot published about her on the internet either, so... Like, that felt a little bit of, like, an Emily Dickinson vibe. Yeah, it, like, it continues that, like, recluse, there. like, writer vibe yeah. that the show is. It's so it's so interesting to me because I, like, I I want to be her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I want to no, be definitely. that, like, recluse writer that just, like, is sheltered from the world. But people kind of sort of know by word of mouth. And it's just, like, urban legend almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. And one thing I found interesting, like, one of the few like interviews I found with her was she said she doesn't really identify as like a TV writer or a TV showrunner particularly not only because she hasn't done a ton of it but also because she said you know for her it's not necessarily about the particular medium of like TV versus plays or films or whatever but she just wants to kind of create art that kind of has her vision kind of an auteur kind of thing and she said that most of the like people that she looks up to are like filmmakers like writer directors who Um, you know, kind of have that complete vision. And it's not necessarily about it being a movie, quote unquote, or a TV show, quote unquote, but like, this is how you have to tell this story. And so that, like, when I read that quote, I was like, that really shows through in this show. Like, when you pitch it, it doesn't sound like, oh my God, that would be a great TV show necessarily. I mean, it doesn't sound bad, but it doesn't sound like, oh, I totally see how that would work. But when you watch it, you get it. It also doesn't sound safe for like a studio you know what i mean like it doesn't sound Mm. it 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 sounds like oh we could do like a special but it doesn't sound like oh we could do like 30 episodes of this thing continuously and like keep bringing people in and having this thing that's like standing on its own and and really interesting to sort of get into as like a whole you know what i mean it's 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 very like it's strange it's very strange how it's built and how it's just And that's why it's interesting to me that it um, was one of Apple TV's first shows out of the gate. And I think it was, you know, we could wonder about would they have gotten more subscribers off the bat if they had a more traditional comedy like Ted Lasso in their initial launch. But we're we're not trying to compare this to Ted Lasso. (laughs) No, it's Um, literally uncomparable. Like you cannot, it's apples and oranges, like no, no. (laughs) But on the other hand, it really caught 
people's attention maybe not everyone's attention it definitely didn't break through and become a super mainstream hit because it's just not it's not that kind of show it doesn't cater yeah. to everybody but i do remember i saw people posting about this show right from when it launched and i was intrigued by what i saw like i remember seeing some of the gifts and i was like whoa wait it's about emily dickinson and it looks gay and jane krakowski's there like it had some recognizable people and john mulaney guest starred in season one as well and it made me curious and it made me that was the first thing that made me feel like maybe i need to get this streaming service even though it's so new so in that sense i guess uh it may be paid off yeah and i feel oh. like apple tv as a streamer has like kind of made it known that they're gonna take risks at this point like now we've got severance um, which would have, I don't think another service would have taken, but also like it's Apple. And I think they're still at the point where they're like, well, if we make a loss on our streaming service, we're Apple. So oh, yeah, they have a ton they of can money afford to, to do them. that still at this point in time. Uh, so no, you'll, you'll know that Apple is, is coming out of that mood when they raise the price to 15, 20 bucks a month. Ugh. Um, it's still only like six, five or $7 a month, right? It's really cheap. I have completely given up. I've got screeners. So every, if I want to watch something, I'll just be like, Hey, can you just like give me this? Thanks. Yeah. I do not like, that's how I have Dickens. And I just like log onto my screener website and I'm like, Oh my yeah. God, the entire season. No, but like, I think it's really interesting because not only were they taking risks, but they were asking like, oh, there's so many other streamers out there. How can we like stand out? How can we mm -hmm. be different? Mm -hmm. How can we like, and it's paid off marvelously, I feel like. I don't remember how many or if the show was ever nominated for anything big. Season one won a Peabody Award, which is like a pretty prestigious, wow. like for like the most unique, like most artistic works in a given year. Other than that, almost no awards attention like nothing from the emmy is That's not crazy a lick, which is weird to me because yeah it really is high quality and obviously the emmys are very competitive and do come down a lot of times not to this is not me saying that the shows that win don't deserve it but like a lot of times what actually gets in there is a little bit dependent on what people are actually watching and talking about because nobody can watch every single show yeah and this show i it i think it's very highly praised from everyone who has seen it but it does struggle a little bit in terms of like getting out there and getting, you know, getting the word out and getting people to watch it because it, it is more niche, you know, like I'm not trying to say every single person will watch and love this show because that's not the case. But I do think, I don't know, it, it surprises me a little bit that it's not more popular than it is. I knew that it hadn't gotten as much like attention in terms of award seasons and stuff because like Apple TV barely just started getting you know, uh, attention because mm -hmm. of Ted Lasso and Severance and hopefully yeah. Severance soon, I think. Um, but it deserves so much. Like, it's so good. It's crazy. I think, I think this is a show that's going to, like, I mean, it's hard to say, like, best shows of, like, the 2020s because there's so many shows now and so many good ones. But I feel like this is one where, like, you know, his, like, history is going to vindicate it a little bit. People are going to be like, wow, that really was a gem. It's like Emily Dickinson. <laughs> like It'll be famous after yeah. its time. It's crazy. The casting of the show, uh, we can mention the other cast as they come up, but uh, Haley Steinfeld plays Emily Dickinson, and she had already had a decent career before this. Um, I know she did a lot of stuff as a child actor. Personally, what I knew her from was Pitch Perfect 2, which... So I came into this show. I came into this show thinking, oh my god, like the show sounds interesting, but I fucking hate that girl, Haley Steinfeld. She's so annoying. No, and here's I the will thing. own that. Here's why. I will own that because she's not 
It's just her character in that movie 100%. that absolutely sucks. Yeah, we watched and then I was it together. Blown away. She's so good in this show. Our sophomore year of college, we sat, we watched it together because, like, we all saw the first Pitch Perfect, and we were yeah. like, "What a fun movie! Let's watch the second <laughs> one." And we made a bad decision that night because that was it not was a good so experience bad. watching Pitch Perfect. It too. was a bad movie, and her character—I don't want to say Haley Steinfeld was the worst no, part no. of it, but her character was the worst part of it <laughs> uh and so i had a very negative association towards her but thank god for this show and then for yeah. that for me it's funny because yeah. that same night i said to i said to our other friends i was like you know Haley steinfeld is an oscar nominated actress and no one believed me because that was what we had just <laughs> seen i was like no i remember she was nominated for true grit when we were like 12 <laughs> yep i remember this <laughs> I didn't watch True Grit. So I just watched the Oscars with my mom. So I remembered it. it yeah, you were right, Kara. You were right. Anyway, she she plays Emily Dickinson. And I like. I feel like her casting is a very, very big part of this show. Like, I don't like, not that no one else could play this role. Like, different people would play it and it would be different. It would have a different vibe and a different voice. But like, her performance is so much of like the vibe and the voice of this show. Um, she also worked as an executive producer along with the team so she definitely had kind of a um a hand in shaping it so we're gonna discuss the first episode which technically the the whole first season did drop at once uh so it wasn't necessarily you know in the sense of like it was a pilot and then to see if they were going to make the rest of the series uh but this first episode it came out with the rest of season one on november 1st 2019 with the launch of apple tv the episode is titled because i could not stop and it was written by Alina Smith and directed by David Gordon Green. So one thing just to note about the episode titles of this show is that every episode title is taken from a line or a phrase from one of Emily Dickinson's poems. And then consequently, you will see as we discuss this episode, um, the, the poem that's in the title uh, is worked into kind of the themes of that episode. And also they, they show you more of the poem and like more of the writing of it throughout the episode. So... The, I just wanted to write down the blurb that was on Apple TV for this because it made me laugh. <laughs> Emily's attempt to publish a poem sparks backlash. Wiz Khalifa guest stars. I knew. Oh, God. <laughs> I knew that he had, like, appeared because I'd, like, seen, like, GIFs mm-hmm, and, like, yeah. pictures. And yeah. I just remember being like, huh, who, who thought of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's really like it's one of those things where you you look at it, and you go, huh? But then once you see it, you're like, of course, Wiz Khalifa's here. 100%. Who else could it be? <laughs> so the first episode of Dickinson, uh, it begins over black, and there is a slideshow of several uh, historical photographs of Emily Dickinson and her house and her family, and it just gives you a little narration of like this was Emily Dickinson was a poet and she lived in the 18 whatevers I didn't even write it down because like it's the basic stuff it's literally just there in case you didn't know Emily Dickinson was a real person like it's just to tell you that and to set up the contrast they're like you know she wrote all these poems they show pictures of like her poem fragments like in her handwriting and most of them remained unpublished until after she died uh and then it dissolves into there's a horse running uh, or there's horse galloping sounds and then it cuts to um, Emily waking up and she's just like, she's like a girl in an 1800s, you know, historical bedroom. She wakes up in the middle of the night. She looks really upset or concerned or frenzied about something. And then she runs to her desk um, and starts writing stuff down. 
and you're like what's going on with this girl like you're already like there's a sense of like she's not all quite right even just from her (laughs) getting up then there's a knock at her bedroom door uh it's her sister lavinia her younger sister uh who's asking her to fetch water and it's four in the morning so emily's like why do i have to fetch water at four in the morning emily suggests that lavinia should go get austin to do it austin is their older brother who you'll meet later uh but lavinia explains well he's a boy so he doesn't have to do chores at 4 a.m because he's more important and then emily's response to that is this is such bullshit and that is the first time like the rest of that conversation is kind of in you know what we would call that historical sounding dialogue uh but then she just goes this is such bullshit and that's kind of what snaps you into oh this is not going to be just a traditional period piece uh, and that's what uh, drops us into the title card. The title cards on this show, they're different for every episode and they're really cool. They have kind of this like paper cut collage animated style and it's like really dark and macabre. And it also has this really loud blaring theme music. It's like, it's not dubstep's not the right term, but like, what would you call the genre of that? It's like heavy, it's like, like kind electronic of trap, say- but not really. It's very, yeah, it's very, I don't know. I don't know. It's like clearly modern yeah. music. Yeah. So it's not what you would expect um, for the show. So it just drops you right into that. I think that's just such a strong teaser. It's like short, it's sweet, and it tells you everything you need about to know about the show right away. The one thing that I found really interesting watching it again, and to your point that like the intro is not really interesting or like whatever, I realized that it's Lavinia who's like narrating the little bit about uh, Emily's life, which connects beautifully to the fact that she's the one that then published her poems when she oh, died. Yeah. So it's like this I did very not put cool... that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like a rewatch thing where I was like, oh shit, it is Lavinia's voice. Cause she's the one that finds the poems yeah. by the end oh, and wow. she's the one that publishes them. So it's like, oh, she's telling yeah. us kind of like the story of her sister because yeah. she's the one that Aww. like made her known. It's crazy. As a person that likes period pieces for the re- all the reasons Adina hates period pieces, <laughs> I did have some troubles with the anachronistic stuff. It t- it took some getting used to. So I feel like it like, and like I'm glad it like gets that right out of the way right off the bat because like if you go in expecting anything different, you will be mad. Um, yeah. And I like knew what to expect going in, but it's just like. This is just a me thing. It's taking getting used yeah. to. I will say this is better than Netflix's attempt with persuasion. So <gasps> I'm yeah. fine. If you want to read yeah. my persuasion review, it's on screen spec. I did not care for yeah. that film. Kara, this, this might have come up on other episodes. I can't remember. But like Kara and I literally have opposite opinions <laughs> on period pieces. She loves them for like, you know, the, not the not historical accuracy. That's the wrong word. But like the, the period aesthetic. Yeah, mm-hmm. the costumes, to... the manners. Yeah. yeah. Like all of that stuff adds to the drama for me. So. And for me, that's not necessarily a draw. And I tend to find myself getting a little locked out of the dialogue and a little bored sometimes. Yeah. So for me this is like perfect oh yeah same but i agree i agree that like the anachronisms it's not just because it's anachronistic and modern that i like it Mm -hmm. it's because it's a very consistent language that the show it's a consistent tonal language that the show uses yeah um they they have a very particular balance of how they use it Mm -hmm. um and actually i there's a, a quote i found from melina smith about that topic um about like the anachronisms she kind of acknowledged that like it's not going to be for everybody she said 
oh yeah, like if you're trying to do a serious cultural critique, it's easy to hear about it and laugh at first. Like, oh, Emily Dickinson twerking, that sounds dumb. And she said also that I have a willingness to laugh at myself, but I also wanted to look at all the ways the internet has affected society. And it's easy for what you're doing to seem sillier than it is, but the flip side and the payoff of it is that I feel by speaking to my own generation and the generation younger than me, and actually paying attention to what is going on in our culture and our society, the work uh, did land and did find the audience. That's the thing. Uh, The people that were trying to do Netflix's persuasion seemed to have a similar goal in mind, but they didn't meet it, in my opinion, because, Mm -hmm. well, for one thing, like, I can tell that these anachronisms are kind of purposeful. They were just throwing them in wherever, and it, but all of theirs sounded like they had just been on Twitter a bunch and, like, Mm -hmm. wrote some things in. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas this, it's like, actually seems like more thoughts gone into it, which is why it doesn't bother me nearly as much, and why if... if I decide to continue the show, I will eventually just get used to it. Yeah, I will say, like, looking back, it definitely threw me at first, too. Um, But it's it's one of those things where, like, you just, you have to trust a little bit and watch, you know, at least an episode or two, and then you see if you really like it or not. But to me, this show, like, it invites that level of trust because it is quality, consistent, deliberate within itself. And it's purposeful. You know, yeah. like, they have their own style, and they keep it up, and it's it, it makes sense within the story that they want to tell. Whereas, like, Persuasion, mm-hmm. it, it feels like they're just, like, they were imposters trying to, like, in, understand Gen Z language and then use yeah. it to bring in Gen Z audiences. Yeah. And it was just very, like, it was a trap. It was a honey trap that they were trying to set up, and it just did not work. Yeah. Also, Persuasion knew. isn't a comedy. No, why would you make it a comedy? Yeah. That was the other yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> and I, I feel like it works here because, like, the framing of the show, even within this pilot, we'll mm-hmm. see it later, this show, like, it takes place in Emily Dickinson's life, but it is, from the very beginning, explicitly connected to the present. Yeah. It is connecting her life to our present now because it is setting up this idea of our idea of Emily Dickinson and her fame. Mm-hmm. That is a an important part of the show. It is, like... The, the the show was about she's going to have this famous reputation how did she get there kind of so it's already talking to our present mm-hmm. and that's why i feel like it that relationship works because it's like not only you know the character in her life but it's how we are relating to it in the modern times that's also what the show's about so yeah um so that's the teaser very quick effective at getting the tone across Uh, After the teaser, we see Emily did not get out of it. She did have to go fetch the water. She walks out to the well. This is the 1800s. You've got to walk all the way to the well, which is far away from your house, to get water. As she's walking, she's um, imagining some lines for a poem, which they start, they appear in gold text um, as an overlay um, of, of what she's doing. And then they also are read off in a voiceover in Emily's voice and so this is a conceit a visual conceit that they use throughout the show whenever she's thinking of poem lines they they appear in that way so she thinks of the line because I could not stop for death which for context that is her most famous poem I would say and also while she's doing this very modern music is playing I forget what song it was but uh they again they're kind of emphasizing that anachronistic tone she's going to fetch water from the well and there's some like 2019 hip-hop playing so (laughs) She goes back into the town center. We see um, Amherst, by all accounts, realistic. So they're establishing the world she lives in is uh, realistic to the period. 
And then she returns to her house, to the kitchen, to bring the water back. And we meet her mother, Mrs. Dickinson, who is played by Jane Krakowski. Like, she's probably the most well-known actor out of the main cast, I would say. Well, her and Haley Steinfeld are, like, the two most well-known. And she's part of why I watched the show originally, because I do really enjoy her. And I, th- I think she brings a really good balance of, like, her normal persona and typecast, but also, like, a little bit tailored to, to fit this show. Because, um, like, Jenna Maroney doesn't necessarily fit in 1860s Amherst, but, like, she brings a little of that flavor and then a little bit of the, like, put-upon uh, period times mother. So she really has some issues with Emily because Emily is not fit to be a good housewife. She's not good at doing chores. She was spilling all this water. Emily says they should just get a maid because they're rich and they can afford it. Like, they could totally get it. Uh, But her mom's like, no, you need to learn how to do chores so that you can get a husband and move out of my house. And she explains that she has set up an appointment for Emily that afternoon with a suitor, a gentleman suitor. It says, don't pull any of those stunts that you pulled last time. Uh, Apparently, the last time a suitor came, Emily dropped a mouse in his lap. So that's the kind of girl we're working with here. And she says, you are not a cat, Emily. And Emily responds, no, tragically, I am a woman. (laughs) Which I just, I love that line. Meanwhile, Lavinia is the younger sister and she desperately wants a suitor and she really wants to get married. And she's also good at housework. Like she is doing the work, but she can't get married um, because like their mom wants Emily to be the one to get married and leave the house. And she wants Lavinia to stay and like, basically take care of her um that made me sad i was sad for lavinia um also this the sibling relationship between them i was like this is this this feels correct yeah this is a very sister type relationship here and yeah lavinia points out that that is not fair like why can't she get married and emily stay at home because that's what they want and uh their mom just replies life isn't fair lavinia so then we cut to a bit later uh in the dining room uh mrs dickinson and Emily are sitting there. They have a very splendid uh, tea arrangement out to greet the suitor. Uh, he's a young man about Emily's age and, you know, formally dressed in his tailcoat and all that. Uh, and his name is George. Emily sees him and she's shocked to see him because she knows him. He is her friend, George. Uh, they know each other from uh, a literature club that they're in together with Austin. Uh, and this is another like casual anachronism dropped in there. She's like, oh, we know each other from the literature club. We hang out like all the time. Um, so it's just kind of, it's blended in there. Uh, Mrs. Dickinson like clearly was not anticipating that they knew each other, but still launches into her spiel about how Emily would be a good housewife. But then Emily's like, yeah, no, I just want to go talk to, to George outside. Um, she's like, I- I'm, I'm not doing this suitor appointment thing. So she takes George out on the porch and... Um, George actually really wants to marry Emily. That's the thing. He's in love with her and he has a huge crush he and always such has. A simp. Oh my yeah, god. <laughs> I kind of loved um, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he's very cute. Like she's like, I it's not you, George. I'm never going to get married. Yeah. And he goes, never say never. And then he starts quoting her poetry, which is really sweet. Like he he's not just trying to be like, you know, chasing tail or whatever. I don't know why I just said chasing tail. <laughs> He's not just chasing uh, petticoat, trying to get in bed with her, but he actually really does love her um, and all of her interests. Um, but Emily shuts him down. She does. She's not leading him on. She says, I have one purpose on this earth to become a great writer and a husband would put a stop to that. But George says, I wouldn't, I would, I would help you write, you know, if we got married and then they share a cigarette. It's kind of a cute little, cute little bonding moment. 
but Emily's like, nah, you say that you wouldn't now, but I know how men are, and at some point it would bother you, and, and you wouldn't let me write. Um, I have to interject here. This has yeah. nothing to do with Dickinson, but I just want to plug... I'm going to plug Bridgerton for a moment here because this is the exact relationship Colin and relationship Colin and Penelope have where she's a writer and he gets all excited finding out that she's a writer. It's like bad because, you know, Lady Whistledown, but then he's like, but wait, you're really good at this actually. And it's very cute. George, he just goes, I'm madly in love with you. He's not playing around. <laughs> Uh, but he can't believe that she would say no. So he's like, is there someone else? And Emily says, yes, actually. She's talking about death. Death is the other person in her life. <laughs> so we then see Emily's describing this to George. Uh, she talks about death taking her for a carriage ride every night. And we see outside, there's a carriage outside on her family's land pulled by ghostly horses. And Emily comes out there in this hot, sexy red dress. And she says that, oh, death is dress. sexy as hell. And we don't see him yet, but she's telling us, oh, death, he's a good looking guy. Then we cut back to George and his response <laughs> to that, he says, you are such a weirdo. Why am I so attracted to you? Like, <laughs> get me a man like George who just accepts me for everything that's weird about me. Where Which, do I find him? That's a good point. Like, George is a good guy. But also, I really love how this show acknowledges that, like, Emily being, like, the weirdest fucking girl in town is so hot and everybody in town wants her which is like perfect um there's still like there's still a, I, I still have chances you guys like i still i can still make it like i can still find someone that's yeah. fucking crazy. then emily kind of just runs off towards the barn which is this is the kind of thing she does she'll drop a mouse in your lap she'll just run off in the middle of a conversation you never know you never know with emily um so he chases her down uh, and then she says, okay, there's one thing you could do for me. So you're the editor of the Lit magazine. Can you publish publish my poem? And she's a little nervous. She's like, I'm not sure if it's ready. But George is immediately, he's like, yes. Oh my God, I love your poetry. I love you. I'm, I'll publish it tomorrow. He's like, everyone's going to know the name Emily Dickinson. But then Emily gets nervous and she says, take my name off of it, please. Publish it under a different name or anonymously because her dad does not approve of women publishing. So he has... We'll, you'll find out more about it later but like her dad has very specific ideas of what should and shouldn't be done and he's kind of okay with her writing as long as she doesn't publish it um as long as she doesn't try to become a writer quote unquote but george is like no i'm not going to take your name off i'm going to leave it on and then your dad's going to see it and he's going to see why you're so brilliant and then he'll be fine with it like emily's like okay yeah and then he kisses her on the cheek uh, and it's really cute. And Lavinia's watching this out of the window of their house. And she makes a little smoochy smoochy gesture. And Emily gags back at her. <laughs> it's a very sisterly moment. Here I go, relating back to something else, another piece of media. Emily in this scene was giving off uh, major Edith Crawley vibes. As in, after Edith got left at the altar in season three, her grandmother, played by Maggie Smith, said, you got to find something else to do. She decided to write into a newspaper, like, an opinion piece, not thinking they would publish it. And then they did. And she ended up getting, like, a writing job and, like, inheriting a magazine by the end of the by the end of the um, oh. series. And her father, at first, when this happened, was like, what the fuck? He was like, what? Why are you doing this? And she was like, you all literally told me to find something to do and look what I've done. <laughs> and now you're mad. It was a good moment for her, actually. Unfortunately, spoilers because of history. Unfortunately, <laughs> it never works out that well for Emily. As we mentioned, she did not find any success in publishing really until 
um, her sister published her poems after her death. So she's not yeah. going to get a good newspaper job, sadly. <laughs> but um, so after this date, she goes back inside and Mrs. Dickinson is very upset, says that was a disaster. Lavinia's like pointing out the kiss and how cute it was. But Emily's like, mom, you got to stop doing this. Stop throwing me like at all these suitors. Like half of them are old men, you know, ugly, undesirable guys that can't find a wife. It's embarrassing. Like the whole town knows that like you're trying to marry me off and, and it's not working out. And then at this point, as they're arguing, Mr. Dickinson arrives home. He's the man of the house and it is immediately evident when he comes in that kind of, you know, he holds the power in the household because it's the 1800s. He's asking what they're arguing about. Emily says, mother's trying to disown me again. Mr. Dickinson's response is, Emily doesn't have to get married if she doesn't want to. So you get the sense of like, oh, she's a daddy's girl. She gets her way with, with dad, um, whereas the mom is is much harsher on her. Her mom brings up something like she can't sit at home doing nothing all day. And Emily's response to that is, I don't do nothing. I found all of those birds' nests and points to just a giant fucking pile of birds' nests like on the sideboard. <laughs> and it's just all these little moments where you're like, who, who is this girl? She says it like it's the most logical defense in the world and everyone should be thanking her for finding these birds' nests. She's just so weird. It's great. But, but dad's like, whatever, the discussion's over. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Uh, Emily thanks her dad, says, you're my hero. And she runs off. But then Mrs. Dickinson turns to her husband and she's like, Emily is too wild. She is going to ruin this family, you know, if we don't marry her off. So that's kind of the conflict uh, here. You know, the parents are on different sides of it as well. But obviously the dad holds the power. He has the final say because history. So then we see Emily outside. Uh, she's a little preoccupied watching a bee. She's very into nature and all that. And then we finally meet her brother. Austin rides up to her on a horse. Um, and uh, he heard that she turned down a suitor earlier today. But he has good news, which is that he is engaged to Sue. And we don't know who Sue is yet. But then there's a hard cut to, to Sue's face. She's lying in some hay. And we just see her face. Uh, and Austin says, oh, I proposed to her. And then it cuts to her going, yes, 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 clearly in the middle of sex. And then reveal that Austin was going down on her uh, <laughs> at the time. So that also, this is our first instance of like sex in the show. And that is something that I wouldn't say it's gratuitous sexually, but it does have some sex scenes. Like it does not shy away from that. It's not, you know, uh, it's not pretending that like people didn't do that back in those days basically emily's really distraught uh because austin's like i know she's your best friend um but you know i'm i'm gonna marry her and her sue's sister just died like her her whole family has died a while ago and she's lived in a boarding house but she had one sister left and that sister just died um mary and now sue is completely alone so austin's like i'm doing her a favor she is alone in the world i'm marrying her and you know now she'll be your sister-in-law so that's cool um but Emily is really, really pissed off for some reason that we don't necessarily know yet, unless you know anything about Emily Dickinson. She's kind of running back to the house and she envisions the first line of her poem once again, because I could not stop for death. She rushes back into the house and this is where um, Austin and Sue are meeting with the parents, the Dickinsons, to talk about the engagement. And they're like, wow, this is such great news. We're so happy, uh, except for the part where your sister died. Sue, that's very sad. <laughs> and then Austin basically breaks to them that he got a job offer from a law firm in Michigan and he wants to move there. But then Mr. Dickinson says, no, I think you should stay here. 
work at my law firm. Uh, we will build you a house on the land next door. You know, you'll have your own house, but you'll be right here. And we will be a family. We'll be close to each other. We will strengthen the Dickinson name in Amherst. Like that's, he's, Mr. Dickinson's very concerned about their family legacy and all that um, in the town. Uh, so all the, the men are arguing about this, but then Sue gets distracted because she notices out of the window, there is a basket being lowered on a string outside of the window. <laughs> which uh, anyone watching up until this point can probably figure that Emily is behind this. <laughs> she points it out, Austin grabs it, uh, and there's a note inside, and that's addressed to Sue. Austin opens it because he knows that it's Emily. And then inside the note, it says, uh, Austin, I mean it. Don't do this. Give it to Sue. <laughs> that's how you can tell. Like, we hardly saw them interact, but, like, Austin and Emily know each other very well. They, they know what the other is going to do um and they can anticipate it so then sue takes the note it says meet me in the orchard uh so emily is trying to talk to sue alone um any different thoughts i mean kara like what were kind of your thoughts up until this scene about this whole engagement situation well i i knew i knew what was gonna happen with emily and sue already i think because i like you were watching it one day yeah. and you were like that's her sister-in-law. Um, <laughs> so I I remembered this. I was not surprised. Um, yeah. Also, just generally knowing the, the very few things I know about Emily Dickinson, I knew yeah. there was going to be um, some sort of lesbian romance. Uh, yeah. So I was like, all of the stuff where she's like, you know, mad about Sue, about Austin marrying mm -hmm. Sue, and that sort of thing, I was like, yeah, I know where this is going. Um, so I wouldn't say it was a shock uh, yeah. <laughs> or anything like that, but I do feel like the ensuing scenes were very comical. Uh, yeah. Particularly yeah. when she brings the thing down from the window. Like, I definitely had yeah. some chuckles there. So yeah, so so Emily goes to these great lengths to get Sue to meet her, and then the next scene is them meeting in the orchard. And again, Emily, in classic weird girl fashion, she's like <laughs> waiting for Sue, and she's standing, she's sitting in the tree already, like very posed, very dramatically waiting for Sue to come meet her. And one thing I also want to flag here just visually is Emily almost always wears white on this show. That's like her thing. Not always, but like she tends to wear a white dress um, when she's like not forced to wear something else. And Sue, meanwhile, does not always wear black, but she's wearing black right now because her sister just died. <laughs> so they're in white and black. It's very kind of visually striking here. And Emily just, you know, now that they're in private, she's very blunt. Is this some kind of joke that you're marrying my brother? So we don't, you know, we don't know their history yet, but obviously there is a long history between these two girls. And Sue basically explains, like, you know, my family's dead. I I need to marry somebody. I, I you know, a single woman with no family, like, you can't survive uh, in these times. Uh, and Emily is like, you've, you've dissed Austin before, like, you know, he's not that great, like, you don't like him. But Sue is like, I will starve to death if, if I don't marry him. So uh, Emily references a, a promise that they made when they were younger that neither of them would ever get married and they would grow up to become writers. Um, little unmarried besties uh, being writers. And Sue's like, that's, that's stupid. I already knew that that wasn't going to work out even when we said that. I'm not like you. My family was never rich and now they're all dead. So like, I don't have your perfect life, she says. And at that point, Emily realizes she's being a little bit unfair. She backs down a little bit. She gives condolences. She says, I'm sorry about, you know, your sister dying. Um, but we'll be sisters now if you, if 
you know, Sue says, like, we're, we're going to be sisters. <laughs> and Emily, you know, she kind of accepts that. But she says, okay, promise me two things if you're going to do this. First of all, promise that you're not going to move away to Michigan. And second of all, promise that you will always love me more than you love him. And Sue's line, oh my God, Sue's line here. She says, as for the first, you know, that's Austin's decision. I, I don't really get to decide if we move or not. But as for the second, I wouldn't worry too much about that. And then they have a big honking kiss. Like, this is not a little peck on the lips. It is a big damn kiss. And it starts raining at that moment, like gushing rain out of nowhere. It's extremely dramatic and romantic. And can I just say, I appreciate this show so much because they could have done this in subtext. They could have had two, three seasons of subtext of this and then like finally got them together at the very end. But they're like, no. You know, we're not playing around with this. We want you to know exactly what this show is going to be. It is going to be about the romance and the affair of Emily and Sue. That is what this show is going to be. If you don't like this, get out. We're not playing with the subtext. Were they lesbians or were they not? They are. (laughs) I admire Uh, the ballsiness that it took to be like, we are gay. Deal with it in the first fucking episode. Because it does, like, 2019, like, the specifically like lesbianism in tv has never been this like specific and like big and like a big deal like people have not taken it it hasn't been like this thing right and i remember like you know i was expecting to get queer baited for like a long Mm. ass time but ironically enough like i feel like that's the first thing that i saw that made me want to go watch dickinson like that apple orchard scene i was like this is the most (laughs) beautiful thing i've ever seen in my entire life let me go find it and that's how i like found the show yeah so god it's just so bold it's so bold and it's so romantic it also Mm -hmm. makes it very clear this show it's not only about romance i mean i would say it's about love in general it's about emily's love for sue and for writing and also for her family like she she does have a lot of love for the rest of her family as well um but the romance is a big part of it and specifically with sue like they do have other love interests throughout the series but there's never really a point throughout the series that you doubt that you know they love each other the most that is obvious and the other thing that i really appreciate about the series this is a slight spoiler for episode two but (laughs) it's not really that big um some shows i feel like when they're trying to like you know do um you know lesbian representation or whatever um and they want to make it clear they'll have one big damn kiss like when the girls get together or something and Mm -hmm. then after that it's just very chaste and it's like well you know they're gay like that's it this show does not do that episode two they have a sex scene (laughs) and then beyond that they have a lot of scenes they have a lot of scenes together not every single episode because there is the practical you know thing of like you know sue is marrying emily's brother but it's never they never let it you know they never say like okay that's enough like you know that they're gay just like forget about it you know they're like this is the romance of the show so we're going to show you their important moments which you know it's nice uh i don't know kara i know like (laughs) the gayness is not necessarily a draw for you but like how do you make of this in terms of like establishing a romance for the series because i know you're a big romance person I thought it was well done. And it also, like, all of, like, it's the explanation as to why Emily was so weird about it when Austin was like, so I'm gonna marry Sue. It had all of those things that you expect out of a romance, and it just happened to be two women, so it's, like, very nice. I also just love 
the way that when you said the thing about Emily kind of sitting dramatically in the tree, I kind of love the way Emily gives off the vibe that she's like living her life like she's in a movie. I know movies didn't exist back then, but uh, she's just kind of like, she has big main character energy in her head yeah. in a way that is so fascinating. Also, maybe a little bit of mental illness. Sad. Um, like, she 100% so has things going wrong. This is also slightly a spoiler, but not really. <laughs> it's funny. One of the funniest episodes of season three, um, and it's like funny and sad, but one of the funniest episodes of season three is when um, Emily's dad gets fed up and tries to put her in a mental asylum. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's what oh, they yeah. did with weird women <laughs> who wouldn't get married back then. So it is very sad. <laughs> but, like, the show kind of addresses that and, like, finds the comedy and the darkness of it. But, yeah, he he tries to lock her away. And that's what I feel like I'm kind of enjoying about it. Like, she kind of seems like a very sad lady. And, yeah. like, just from what we know about Emily Dickinson, that seems to be the case. But I feel like this is... What this show is doing is, like, and maybe this is just the dark humor person in me or, like, the way or maybe the reason that some people find this so relatable is that we, we have to find ways to laugh yeah. when we are very, very sad, which is something that I actually yeah. really appreciate about this because it's, like, I feel like some of these jokes, I'm, like, should I be laughing at that? Um, yeah. But it's, like... That I guess that just goes to show you how sad everyone is. Yeah. But um no, like she is like they're really getting at this. Like Emily Dickinson, I don't want to say born in the wrong time, but like she was born in a time and a place that was not made for people like her. Um and you know, that's she ended up putting it, you know, into her art, kind of that frustration. But like I feel like the the character as they write her in this show, um, and as Haley Seinfeld plays her, I think really well is she finds such tremendous joy in every like small moment and like you can see when she's looking at a bee on the fence or when she's draping herself in the tree like she really finds like the beauty and the specificity in every moment around her but she's also really really sad and she's obsessed with death because like she knows she's not getting married she knows that the life that she's supposed to have and supposed to want is not for her and there are no other options for her and she knows that she's literally staring down like I am going to wait out my whole life and you, and die alone. <laughs> I can't marry the woman I love because uh, that's not a thing. Like they don't even they don't even talk about like, oh, what if we could get married? Because that wasn't a thing. Marriage was a man and a woman like the idea like th they can't even imagine it. Um, Emily and Sue getting married. It kind of makes sense that she's so like obsessed with death and also like just really you know, obsessing over these, like, small moments and stuff, because that's all she has. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it's really sad and really funny and beautiful at the same time. Uh, so that is the that is the romance scene. And then the next scene is uh, Mary's funeral, so Sue's sister's funeral. Everyone's out there at the cemetery, um, dressed in their fancy black clothes. Sue and Emily make a little eye contact as the funeral's happening. And then after, when, you know, the sort of the burial part is over and everyone's just kind of congregating, both Austin and Emily at the same time run after Sue. Uh, so both trying to get her attention at the same time, but she leaves with Austin, obviously, because they're in public. Uh, and then Emily's left alone and she sees Death's carriage, which we recognize from her fantasy earlier. And she kind of blinks and rubs her eyes. She's like, I'm awake. I'm not dreaming. Uh, why is he here? 
but it's still there. Lavinia notices her staring, and Lavinia does not see anything there. So 100% Emily is hallucinating. <laughs> Lavinia's like, let's go home. You're not well. <laughs> Anyway, so they go back home. George and Austin then have a scene. They're playing badminton um, in the Dickinson's yard. And George asks Austin why he wanted Sue. And Austin says, she's the only one who didn't want me. Uh, so he's kind of like, Austin's kind of like a hot ticket in town. He's like, he's like the boy that, that people want. Uh, but Sue obviously didn't want him because she's interested in someone else. But, uh, you know, that was the appeal apparently. And then George's like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Emily plays hard to get with me, too. <laughs> and I love it. Um, and, but Austin, this is the first time we see him without Emily there. And he confesses his true feelings for her. He says, like, she is a freak. People should stop calling her a genius and stop, like, entertaining her weirdness because she's weird. And then Emily and Sue walk up uh austin pulls sue away and you can already start to sense you don't know if austin knows what's going on or not but you're getting he knows something weird is going on there sorry there was this beat in the funeral scene where mm -hmm. i my i noticed it finally where austin sort of like catches on to their staring and i was just yeah. like oh no because of like what you know it's just this whole like this is terrifying to me and it's crazy yeah. to think because like I feel like deep down and they'll talk about it further down in the show but deep down I feel like he he had his thoughts and he had his like inkling I guess of like oh this is something that is probably happening but like I'm gonna pretend mm -hmm. like it's not you know because yeah. it benefits me more if I don't believe or don't yeah. know what's going on right if I'm in, like yeah, oblivious of the whole thing like... <laughs> Emily and Sue are not actually subtle at Ooh. all with each other, mm -hmm. but everyone, because it's the 1800s, everyone kind of pretends they don't notice because they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So <laughs> they're able to get away with an affair in almost broad oh, yeah. daylight because just no one wants to acknowledge it. That's crazy. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. So again, that's like another instance of like, they, they find the humor and the light within the very dark thing of like, these two women are in love and they can't actually be together um, in the way that they want to because of the times, but they find a way to make it a little lighter. So yeah, so then uh, George and Emily are left together and he tells her that her poem, it's been sent to the printer, um, the magazine will be published next week. And he says, you're a little bit famous now, Emily Dickinson. And then Emily again has her little weird freak out moment. She goes and like puts her head against the barn wall without saying anything. She admits that she's scared of how her father's gonna react when he finds out. And George is like, hey, it'll be fine. Like, don't worry. <laughs> He's like, you're brilliant. He's going to see that. And then uh, it's dinner time. So Lavinia calls Emily to help. Uh, there's this quick little dinner montage. Uh, just one thing I wanted to point out is that there's a, a brief shot of Henry uh, beheading a chicken. Henry is not really in this episode other than this one shot, but he becomes a very major character uh, in the show as it goes on. He is like a hired hand for the Dickinsons. He like helps them with various things uh you know such as beheading chickens and whatnot uh but he goes on to have a much much larger role in the show like he's he's pretty major in season three but anyway then they sit down to dinner and i gotta say i love a family dinner scene yes in a pilot especially it's just all the tension the drama ah. the drama <laughs> and this is a good one like this can hold its own with like the gilmore girls friday night dinner this can hold yep. its own with the fleabag season two dinner like it's up there 
so so Sue is joining them uh, because she's now she's going to be part of the family. Mr. Dickinson kind of takes charge of the conversation. Again, he is the man of the house and he starts talking about himself. He's like, oh, yes, like I'm proud of all the things I've done and my law firm and the things that my family has done for this town of Amherst. Like he's he's bragging a little bit. And then he announces that he's going to run for Congress. Uh, he already has been in the House of Representatives, but now he wants to run for uh, the Senate, I believe. Everyone kind of has an opinion on that. Uh, Mrs. Dickinson doesn't want him to be away from home so much because he would have to travel. Uh, Lavinia asks him if he supports abolition. And his reaction, oh again, like, they find the humor in Fuck. in the dark parts of that age. And, like, how would a guy like Mr. Dickinson respond to that? He's like, oh, you know, sla- slavery is wrong, obviously. But, you know, abolition's a little too radical. He, he just waffles and he brushes it off, which... Terrible. Yeah, Horrible. Yeah, because this is, this is right on the brink of uh, the Civil War, time-wise. And then they actually, they, they talk about... Mr. Mr. Dickinson says that his primary concern is keeping the country together. He doesn't want a war. And so that was the position of a lot of, you know, white people in power at the time, obviously. Like, they were like, we don't, slavery is bad, but we don't want to tell the southern states that they can't do it because then we'll have a war. Uh, Which, obviously, was not the right position. But then Emily cuts into this. It's like that everyone's firing off their own opinions. And Emily says, sometimes I feel like a slave. I swear. <laughs> Which was great. And everyone was like, oh, Emily. Emily, no. Oh, yeah, everyone did react appropriately yeah. to that. They were like, you can't say that, Emily. And her mom calls her out. She's like, you are a spoiled rich girl and you don't yep. even help with the housework. So shut up. But it kind of it shows how Emily's like just on her own little planet a little bit. Yeah, dads are, I kept writing dad in my notes. Uh, Mr. Dickinson, uh, he he makes it about himself again. He's like, I'm going to keep the union together and I'm going to bring the railroad to Amherst. And he says that like those are two equal, uh, two things of equal importance. And then Austin, you can tell Austin's feeling a little bit left out. He's like, I just got engaged. I'm a man. I want to announce something. Austin stands up. He announces, Sue and I, we are not moving to Michigan. And he's, you know, he's making it all about himself. But Emily and Sue exchange a glance as he's talking and Emily's like, did you do this? And Sue's like, yeah, I did this. (laughs) Um, So a little nice little moment for them. The parents are talking about the wedding they'll plan and the house they'll build. And Mrs. Dickinson is like, oh, we'll invite your whole family, Sue, (laughs) uh, except they're all dead. So (laughs) it's awkward. And then Emily's feeling left out and she wants to make an announcement. So she says, I have an announcement too. I wrote a poem that is going to be published in the Lit magazine. Her announcement, unlike everybody else's, hers is met with complete silence. And then Mr. Dickinson, he asks her to repeat it, uh, and she does. And then he just says, how dare you? And he goes off on this super long rant. He is shouting at her. He says, you know, I've told you before that I didn't want you to do this. You're a wicked girl. We've given you too much freedom. And he he's shouting. It's this. It's truly terrifying. Like he's been very nice and kind to her up to this point, but he turns and he is just screaming at her. And he says, you're going to ruin the good name of Dickinson. Um, so the rest of the family kind of nopes out of there. They like start clearing the table. They get out. <laughs> Mr. Dickinson's talking about everything he sacrificed and his father to like build their family's reputation and he won't let her ruin it. And he says, your mother's right. You have to learn to be a good housewife. So you're going to clean up all of this dinner by yourself. He leaves her alone and Emily is upset. Like that, that was embarrassing and, and terrifying. And she starts crying. And then she grabs uh, a plate from the table and smashes it in the fireplace, like, you know, 
it's like she's rebelling a little bit she's like i'm not gonna clean up before we segue into the next scene does anyone have anything about that dinner scene this literally felt like every time i've been sat at a dinner table and people get into an argument and i think to myself when is the best time for me to get up and leave but there never is a good time so you're just kind of like sitting there and you're like shoveling food down your mouth and then you're just like okay goodbye and you kind of leave that was i'll just bring this to the sink it's like i don't know what to do it's like but it's like you don't want to get involved because maybe it's not your fight but you're like this is so terrible i don't know how to deal with this that's how this felt yeah um so and it also just speaks volumes how for all the other announcements everybody felt free to chime in with their opinions right away Mm -hmm. uh but when emily says that everyone is silent they know that mr dickinson is about to blow so they're not gonna say a word it's terrible oh man it's just so interesting i feel like this rewatch was the first time that i'd actually watched the entire scene without skipping because i hate it i hate it like it's so it's close to home in terms of like verbal abuse and like parental abuse in terms of like just how quickly something can turn from something that you're proud of in a conversation into something just very very tumultuous and just scary and it pained me so much the first few times that i've watched the show because it it's very like he is her biggest supporter the majority of the time and then when she doesn't fit the version of her that like mr dickinson has in his head he'll just like turn on her awfully mm. like horribly to the point yeah. where you're just like how are we so how how is she supposed to exist if like her mm-hmm. her constraints are not even like she, she's asked, she's being asked to be two different kinds of people and and she just can't do it level of what the hell and it plays into it later in the episode this this whole cycle of like being verbally abusive is something that plays out throughout the entire show and it's painful and it's awful and it's one of those things that it's like it's never going to change right so you just feel so bad yeah yeah and i hate it so much like i i don't i don't know if i like his character like it's, it's it's this whole thing of like i don't know if there's any if the all the redeeming qualities that mr dickinson has are enough for me to be like i understand you and i get it and like i don't hate you but yeah yeah, currently i'm like no i went back and forth on him in the episode because at at first i was like oh he's funny um yeah because he was kind of like kind of making me laugh and he was like taking her side uh with the whole chores thing at first and then we got to this scene and i was like oh this is very different from uh how i had imagined you before Mm -hmm. and like i feel like because i related this to downton abbey earlier Mm -hmm. i kind of felt like it was going to be the thing of how edith's father reacted when she got her thing published where she was Mm -hmm. he was just kind of like i don't think you should do that but he didn't actively try to stop her he was just he just was like i don't approve very englishman type business it wasn't like a screaming we're we're americans here (laughs) we are we are not polite no but i think this scene is really important structurally because it's so interesting how this pilot does a lot of things where it it gives you like it, it plays it's so good at the family dynamics and how people feel about each other and why it, it shows you emily's reaction to certain things before it shows you why so like it shows you her being upset about austin and sue being engaged before you find out yeah. i mean some people might guess but you you before you see that they're in love and it shows her being afraid 
to publish this poem and you know we might be wondering why like we know emily dickinson is a great writer and george is supportive of her and her dad was really nice to her in the other scene and he didn't want her to get married so why on earth would he not be happy with it why is she so scared turns out she was scared for a good reason Mm -hmm. um so i think this show it's really good at kind of playing with the like you know showing you the characters behaviors and then giving you the window onto why yeah um yeah so emily she's in a dark place right now that was that was rough um so she rushes outside she just smashed a plate in the fireplace and she runs outside and then as soon as she steps out of the house you see her she's in that red dress she was in before um in her fantasy and death's carriage is waiting outside for her with the ghostly horses and this time she finally actually gets into the carriage to go with him and we see death for the first time, and it is Wiz Khalifa, as the, as the blurb promised us. Yes. He is sexy. And God, I'm obsessed with this scene of Emily talking to death. It just, this scene does a really good job of telling you, like, the themes of the entire show right here. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly, Emily has a little rapport with him. He's like, you're late, and, or, no, she says you're late. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and he says most people would be glad if I never came. But Emily loves him. She loves to talk to him. Um uh death asks her about her writing and how it's going and uh emily is like he's like yeah you're gonna get it published like it's already off to the printer but emily is like no my dad's gonna find a way to stop it it doesn't matter like it's not gonna work out but death gives her some good news he says like hey just so you know in 200 years you will be the only dickinson that they ever talk about and he says that is immortality you're going to be immortal and Emily's like, no, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to like be nice and then go to heaven. That doesn't appeal to me. And he's like, no, I'm not talking about heaven. And he says, your type of immortality won't come from following the rules. It's going to come from breaking them. But then Emily also asks when death will take her away, quote unquote, for good, as opposed to just a short carriage ride. And he says, not for a long time. Um, uh, but he says he's also going to be very busy soon. So they might not be able to talk as much because a war is brewing. For anyone who knows U.S. history, it is the Civil War. Um, and then death drops her off again. So he's given her this promise of you're going to be the only famous Dickinson in 200 years. And that seems crazy, right? Because her dad is running for the Senate and he's an influential businessman. Austin's also poised to maybe become super influential. And so that sounds ridiculous. But, you know, the only reason we talk about, um, you know, her dad or her brother or any of these other people is because of her now. So... It's crazy. At first, death is such a strong motif throughout the entire show that I was thinking, oh, is Emily suicidal? Like, is this every time that Mm -hmm. she sees death, is it like prettier way of saying that she's self-harming, you know, kind of like Mm -hmm. very close to death in that way. And Mm -hmm. I Googled a lot. Like I spent the majority of my research just Googling this specific thing because I was just so curious. Uh, Apparently it wasn't. It was just like she was so curious about this one thing that she couldn't understand because like it wasn't she couldn't live death you know what I mean she couldn't like experience Mm -hmm. death as like a living person so she was very curious about the prospect of like the entity and like the all-encompassing like reality of this is the future that we all share and like this is where we all go like we all go through this exact same process because like we all have to die at some point so she was so into this idea of what happens what's after like who's after you know that i love how intrinsically they like romanticize the idea of death throughout this show and especially in this episode it's like the perfect introduction to a character that is so prominent whilst also being so 
like you would never want to meet death and i'm like i would love to that'd be so interesting like that'd be like the coolest fucking thing ever like i'm down it's very romantic and i, I feel like they're like the closest that emily's gonna get to this very powerful romantic relationship that she can like proudly state and like proudly be like i'm i'm a part of this thing you know i'm a part of this like couple is this in my head mm-hmm. so i don't know i feel like the the scene is just so beautiful and it's the red dress honest to fucking god it's, a good it's dress. such really a good red that. dress <laughs> I was wondering, like, as she was, like, talking about all this death stuff, I was kind of like, is she dissociating? I wasn't super sure. Yeah. Um, but then I just kind of, like, took it for what it was. Yeah. And stopped thinking about it. Because I was like, maybe it's just better yeah. to stop thinking about the it. Show, the show never gives you a clear answer in that sense. Yeah. Like, there are a lot of bizarre, quote-unquote, unrealistic, you know, fantasy things that do happen in the show. Especially in season three. It takes some oh, weird yeah. turns. But I, oh, I love yeah. it. And they never really tell you... They never give a clear answer of like, this is exactly what's happening when Emily imagines things and we see them. But I imagine it's kind of she's either sitting and staring at something or maybe she's doing some work and she's, yeah, she's maybe dissociating and like. Minor spoiler, I guess, because I I always thought it was like full on disassociation because I do the same thing. You know, like Mm -hmm. I've had moments where I'm just like, oh, I blank and I'm like suddenly back in reality and it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, crap which is something that I use a lot in like my writing so it makes sense that she also had this like problem or or not problem but like this she's more prone to dissociation and and there's this episode I don't remember what it's called in season three it's like it's the man with no name she's seeing this dude and he has no name so the entire episode she spends it like walking around trying to figure out what his name is and she goes all over the town and it's really interesting because I'm just like it feels like she's just like play pretending and like imagining things and and that's the level of like connection to like the disassociation that I've always thought she was like having in terms of like maybe she's just walking around and like not presently in this plane Mm -hmm. but like rather somewhere else but I do also believe that it's it's very it's just a lot of mental illness like that's just it it's just a lot of it and not knowing what to do with herself because like how do you explain to someone that you're feeling this thing without them thinking that you're like asylum level crazy you know and I kind of like the way that the show like I mentioned there is an episode about an asylum in season three Mm -hmm. and they get into a little bit of the discourse of like is it healthy to obviously the way they did it in the 1860s was not great but they touch on the little bit of the modern discourse as well but I like that you know this show makes it pretty clear something about Emily's brain is a little different than everybody around her and at times it doesn't seem to be healthy or ideal you know it's at, at times it's really nice and at other times it causes a lot of problems for her but I kind of like the fact that because it's set in the period like she doesn't have a diagnosis and there's no attempt to be like oh Emily Dickinson had yeah x disorder or syndrome or whatever that we would categorize it as now they don't try and make it about that they're just like yeah she couldn't be she was just emily dickinson and she was the weird girl in town and nobody knew why it you know makes it so you just kind of have to take her as she is so yeah that's a really wonderful i do love that death scene and also it makes sense that they did that in the pilot because as i mentioned that is one of her probably most famous poems yeah um it also kind of reminds me of like some scenes from atlanta um like particularly oh, in the pilot yeah, um yeah. went with like the dude on the bus and the sandwich yeah. um and the deja vu uh-huh. and all that yeah it kind of gives it me, does have some things stylish it gives me a bit of like the surrealism 
vibes. Yeah. I mean, they're very different shows overall, but yeah, they do approach some of these things in a similar way where they don't fully explain yeah. what they're doing mm-hmm. and they just trust you. So then Emily, she returns from her carriage ride with death. Um, she goes back inside and she cleans up the mess and she it's it's late at night like it was a big mess and she had to do it alone so it's very late as she's going upstairs and austin's waiting for her on the stairs and he he doesn't exactly apologize but he's like you know dad dad is really tough like he acknowledges how bad it was so it does show that like despite the conflicts between them he and emily do they do have a bond as well um, and he tells Emily, he's like, I like, here's a, a secret. I am really glad that we're not moving away. Actually, I like being with the family. The one thing that I like about this is they really do explore all the different family relationships very well and how everybody in the Dickinson family, even though they have their conflicts, they really do want to stay together. Yeah. It also gave off sibling energy in the sense that there isn't really an apology, but like, you know, that like, we're good now. Um, like, yeah. I don't think I have ever apologized to my sister about anything but, like, if we get in a fight, I'll kind of be, like, like half an hour later, I'll be like, you want some food? Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. she'll be like, yeah. yeah. And that's how we, like, the universally, like, we're good now. Which is what yeah. this felt like, which I enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, then Mrs. Dickinson calls out to her and she's like, get to bed, Emily, because you have another suitor coming tomorrow. So the fundamental, the ending of this episode is nothing has really changed for Emily. She's back where she started. She tried to do something new and it didn't work out. The woman she loves is now engaged to her brother. Like, if anything, she's a little bit worse off than she started. So she goes to bed and she's under her covers and she, again, looks kind of distraught. Like, she's lying in a weird way. You can tell she's upset. But her her dad comes into her bedroom. Um, he, he knocks and he asks, asks permission. Like, he's in a totally different mood than he was before. He's a lot more gentle. And so this is where he kind of, again, I, I'm not sure if he actually said sorry, but it was a sort of apology. Um, or trying to explain his behavior he says you know i worry about you and i worry about the other kids as well um and he's suddenly very sad and forcing emily to comfort him which you could argue is maybe in its own way a little bit abusive but like he's pretty genuine he's he is genuine and he's trying to make her understand um and he just he says he really doesn't want to lose her uh he says promise that you won't get married and move away so he really wants emily to stay with him and you know be his little girl forever and she agrees she promises not to leave him um but she says in exchange you have to promise me that we will get a maid and then mr dickinson agrees and because he's the man of the house mrs dickinson said no earlier but he overrides her so emily is doing the little pit mom and dad against each other thing (laughs) so that is the one win that emily gets in this episode she gets a maid like she wanted so then mr dickinson falls asleep in emily's bed (laughs) And uh, she gets up, uh, she's awake now, uh, and she goes to her desk and she starts writing again. And she finally puts together, um, you know, we've been hearing just like the one line earlier in this episode, but she puts together um, what is actually the first stanza of this famous poem. Um, and, and the words appear in gold again. Uh, it is, because I could not stop for death, he kindly stopped for me. The carriage held not just ourselves, but immortality which is just the first stanza. There is a little more. But then Emily writes that down, and then she looks up and she goes, nailed it. And that's the end of the first episode. That's so relatable because I'll sometimes, like, write some dialogue and be like, wow, eight. (laughs) Um, Because sometimes it's just like, that was great. And other times I'm like, garbage. Most times. And it works really well because we've been seeing her struggling with it all episode. Yeah. She knew there was something there, but she couldn't get it out. 
and now she's gotten it out. And her like, entire writing process relate to that, incredibly yeah. relatable. Like yeah. the yeah. kind of like thinking oh, yeah. of it, thinking of it as you're doing other tasks and like hoping you don't forget it, and then she finally gets it. Wow, perfect representation yeah. of writers. And yeah, and again, it's like it's that meta sense because she doesn't know that this poem is any different than any other poem she's ever written. And most of them never get published or shown to anybody except for maybe like Sue or her sister or George. Um, but we know that that is her most famous poem 200 years later. And and the fact that it's about immortality and that's what she's obsessed with. She wants to be known. She She wants her words to live on, but she doesn't know that they will. It's just, it really nails those themes so well. Um... Yeah, so so Kara, what are your overall thoughts having just seen this first episode and not the rest of the show? Um, so after I first watched it, I was like, I don't know. Having sat away from it for a little bit and that, like talking about it, I, I do understand it a bit more and kind of get it. Um, so I'm like, yeah, that's fun. It's ne- it's not necessarily something that I would pick up on my own to watch, frankly. Mm-hmm. I I did I did enjoy it. So um, this is this is rather frankly rather low on my list of things i will eventually continue watching that is Uh, understandable but i will probably finish it one day um i liked it enough that i will watch some more just i don't know when now as we're like sitting here and like talking about being writers and how awful that is sometimes but also really (laughs) good also she's just so perpetually sad but they somehow find a way to make that funny and i really think that just appeals to most people that I know like their Mm -hmm. sense of humor which is something that I feel like I don't really see in uh shows that I watch in particular so I appreciate it for that especially um because like this is how I joke with people Mm -hmm. it's interesting because they they play with it interestingly like there are moments where they really play into like this is a period drama and we're gonna make the most of that but then there are also the moments where they depart from it a little bit um, but they never try and hide. Like, I, I, I like that they make it very plain. They're like, here's our stuff that's accurate. Here's our stuff that's anachronistic and, like, why it's related to our themes. We're not trying to hide it. They're not trying to, like, hide it or smooth it over. They're like, just here are these different parts. Um, and that's, like, what we talked about when we talked about Bridgerton, which was now ages ago. Mm-hmm. We, I mentioned, <laughs> this is a romance first and a period piece second. So, like, they're not I- intending to be all that historically accurate with the things they're doing. It's mm-hmm. a, it's based off of a romance novel that just happens to be set in Regency. And I feel like this is different, for sure, but mm-hmm. I feel like that's why the anachronisms work. Yeah, and one other thing I love that they do on this show that feels very intentional and very effective to me, when they have famous guest stars, they yes. cast famous guest stars as people that are famous in the 1860s. So it adds that meta level of like, you John Mulaney plays uh, Henry David Thoreau. And so we know who Thoreau is because of his name. And also he was known in his time. Like he he was known and like Emily meets him and is super excited to meet him because she's like, whoa, you're Thoreau. Uh, and we recognize him because he's John Mulaney. So they pick <laughs> recognizable guest stars to yeah. play recognizable historical figures, which I feel like is a really, really smart and funny choice. Um, there are some other great ones too, like Billy Eichner plays Walt Whitman, Z-Way plays Sojourner Truth at one point. God, Z-Way is so good in this show. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the guest stars are used really well and they don't overdo it, but when they pop up, it is a real treat. 
yeah, it's this is a show that I like a lot, but I always forget about it when I'm not actively watching it. I don't know why. I guess just because not a lot of other people are talking about it. But like when I first watched it, I was like, oh, this was nice. I like it and didn't think about it that much more. But now the more I come back to it, I'm like, this is really good. This is a show for writers. I think that like the the uh, the bigger appeal for me more so than like the weird spiritual and like strange connections that I have to it I always circle back to it because of the writing it's something that I aspire mm-hmm. to be and to learn it's very like aspirational in terms of like this is what I wish that like I could be doing when I'm in like mm-hmm. established in in the industry and like this is something that I like yeah. want to learn from and and dissect because it's so interesting there's so many layers and there's so much intention yeah. that it feels like I I can learn from this a lot and then I also really like it because it's just so fucking gay and so honest yeah, about itself being gay and so like just it's just great in every level that you just look at it and I, I just I love it so much like everyone's just so great like the the vibe is there the show is so yeah. perfectly vibey that it's just like, yep, mm-hmm, I'm going to come back to this a lot. But yeah, I agree. I don't. I remember it exists every other month and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's one of my favorite shows. Why can't I remember yeah. it ever? Yeah, but it is it is weird and it is brilliant, as you said, yeah. just like Emily Dickinson. Uh, yep. And thank you for making me rewatch the pilot, because honestly, <laughs> I, you know, I forget how much I love it. Um, But yeah, definitely recommend to, like I said, it's not necessarily for everybody, you know, if you don't feel that drawn to it, maybe it's not for you. But if you like stuff that's weird, or you like shows about writers, or things about weird sad girls, or kind of like (laughs) dark humor, then this might be a show for you. It's it's really good. All of it's out now, three seasons that ended this past year. Um, And I like to me, I feel like they executed it really well. They like knew what time span they wanted to cover and then they wrapped it up. Yeah, I honestly, like, it was three solid seasons, and they didn't try and drag it on too long. Love that for them. Thank you, Aiko, so much for joining us, for picking such a wonderful show, and bringing so much research and so many good thoughts on it. Oh, I love this show so much that it's just like, oh, God, but, like, the excuse to go into it again and, like, read and research was so fun. Like, thank you. Do you want to let our listeners know, like, where can they find you on the internet or what any work that you want to share? You can find me over on Twitter. I am the most active there. Uh, my username is Ico H Writes. Um, and you can also find me on ScreenSpec. I just finished recapping what we do in the Shadows season four, which was a blast and a wild, wild ride. So if you want to read some cool recaps and I honestly, I put memes in my recap. So like if that doesn't want to <laughs> make you read it, I don't know what else, what will. Um, but yeah, uh, hit me up if you want to talk about literally anything. I'm down for it. And I don't know what else I'm doing. I can't announce anything yet, but I'm doing stuff. I swear. Yes. <laughs> yes. And someday you will see Iko's Dickinson, whatever that show ends up oh, being. Oh, dude. We'll see someday what it will be. It yeah. will be out there. Yeah. Thank you so much. We'll yes, link all those you. things uh, in the episode description. So please do uh, go check them out. Thanks for listening. We want to hear from you now. 
If you have any thoughts about the Dickinson pilot you'd like to share with us or suggestions for shows we should watch, you can email us at itsinmyqpod at gmail.com. And in case you want to prepare for the next episode discussion with us, the next pilot we will be watching is Downton Abbey. So go ahead and watch or rewatch that episode so you'll be ready for our thoughts on it next time. If you want to hear our TV thoughts that go beyond the pilot, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at itsinmyq.substack.com for our thoughts and TV news straight in your inbox every Friday. And if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends to listen. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at inmyqpod or on our personal Twitters. I am at Adina Terrific. And I'm at Kara underscore Powell. Thanks for listening, and we hope we've helped you clear out your queue.